0: PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Don't know what that is? Go to LogRocket.com. Thanks.
1: Hello, and welcome to PodRocket. My name is Kate, and I'm the producer of PodRocket, Rocket. And I'm also your host for today. With me is Dmitri Vinik, developer advocate at Facebook Open Source. Hi, Dimitri.
0: Yes, hello. Uh, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, Dimitri, tell me a little bit about yourself, kind of your role, and you know what you're working on at, uh, at Facebook Open Source.
0: Yeah, thank you for asking. I uh, am currently an open source developer advocate at Facebook, which basically is a big statement, and I mean, it's a big title as well, because we cover such a large portfolio of open source projects. We have over 600 publicly available um, projects that you can see on GitHub. But for me, myself, I'm focusing on mobile. I used to focus on development tools, but right now my main priority are Android, iOS, and some hybrid mobile projects like React Native.
1: 600 projects, kind of tell tell me about that. Like, what is that? Talking about scale, I guess, how does that work? What's the structure kind of working on those?
0: Yeah, that's a great question as well. You know, it's uh, our team. I mean, the open source has been at the, in the very DNA of Facebook, right? It started with open source, and that's why we've been contributing to it as organization as well. Uh, but as developer advocates, we're fairly new to the company. In the past, we had some folks had the informal title of developer advocates, but now we have that focus from the company perspective and so as a result many of us joined and we've been faced with this large scale you know facebook people have expectations but also a large number of already public uh project that you can see on github and so uh, really we had to basically build the ship as we were flying it right uh, <laughs> we had to figure out how do you manage quality versus quantity situation but at the same time you don't want to Uh, create blockers for folks, right? You want to still be very open. So if an engineer wants to open source uh, something they've been working on, something they're passionate about, we never want to stop them. But our role right now is to make sure we guide them in the right direction so they have goals in mind when they open source, especially if Facebook uh, is behind that open source project. If it's something that they do on their own, they can publish it under their own name, right? But if it goes to our GitHub repositories, we want to make sure, uh, you know, we have code of conduct, we have proper contributors guide. so we are welcoming diverse community uh, to help build this project, to, you know, to drive the adoption potentially, um, have a proper readme with the, you know, how to, why we build the project. So those sorts of things, how we manage it going forward, and even existing uh, project that's you know, we already have. We try to work with the teams, and as a result, as I mentioned, the team is fairly new. The developer advocacy team is fairly new, and so what we've done is we kind of divided and conquer. So uh, each of us, each of the DAs on the team, we have um, focus areas. For myself, I mentioned I'm focusing on mobile. Some of my colleagues are focusing on AI and machine learning. Some would focus on you know, React and just the front end as a whole. And that's how we've been trying to tackle it. But obviously, it's still a big question we've been trying to solve. How do you manage the scale of over 600 open source projects? And it's very much work in the work in progress right now.
1: Totally, yeah. Yeah, so... Taking a step back, I guess, you know, how how is Facebook open source different from maybe what a lot of people think of as open source? We've had a lot of open source, you know, folks on our podcast, but now kind of adding the Facebook to it, like, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, I, it obviously comes with the expectation, as I mentioned, it's the large organization and there are quite a few uh, massively known projects like GraphQL, React. Uh, you know Pytorch projects of that size of that magnitude that the community knows of. Uh, you you probably can you know search on LinkedIn or any resume you searching tool, you'll find that you know uh, so many jobs are looking for these sort of open source projects that come from you know from our brand, from the Facebook, and the community helps building. So that obviously sets the high bar for us to meet and to work with those projects. But in terms of uh, overall, what the open source means here, it's very tricky to even measure successful projects because, you know, if you look at other companies, ultimately, when they do open source, yes, they might be contributing, but also the kind of looking for ways to um, have a commercial Model behind that open source work. In our case, we're not really making any money out of open source directly, right? Instead, we're trying to, you know, build the community. It's the whole mission of Facebook is to drive the community behind, you know, people using Facebook. and In our case, using open source that's coming from uh, open source uh, at Facebook. We're trying to be, you know, leaders and work with the community overall. So, and, and of course, I can't say that recruiting doesn't play a role. As I mentioned, the fact that React Uh, uh, or PyTorch or projects of, you know, those projects that come out of uh, Facebook are on people's resumes. People created massive companies, startups, uh, courses uh, on top of those projects. The fact that it exists out there is obviously helping us uh, to, you know, position ourselves as a leader in that space. So Uh, that really makes it complicated to measure success of our projects. But at the same time, it's what makes it exciting. I I honestly love the fact that when I'm talking about the project that, you know, with open source, I never have the idea of, all right, now let's sell you some service behind it or some consulting uh, behind this uh, project because we don't have anything like that. And uh, as I mentioned, it's what makes it exciting.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, So we actually are trying a new segment for this podcast and we... Have outsourced some questions from a um a listener, but also a future guest. Um his name's Anthony Campolo. He does so much, he's all over the place. But how I was introduced to him is he's actually a host on the FS Jam podcast. So he has some questions for you. And one conversation that came up in episode 26 of FS Jam with Claire Frelick, she was kind of curious about, you know, the structure at Facebook because we have projects like you know, Jest and DocuSaurus, which are both separate projects, but then they work together in cross-cutting ways because Jest documentation is built with DocuSaurus. I guess, kind of walk me through that kind of like ecosystem.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's I'm glad you brought up DocuSaurus. It's one of the, uh, I would say, even favorite projects that uh, we as developer advocates on the team uh, enjoy working with, even contributing back to. The reason why I could even say is uh, one of the creators of that project uh, is currently a developer advocate uh, on our team. It's probably one of the, you know, most senior, uh, in the sense that he's been here the longest as well, uh, Joel Marcy. So, uh, DocuSaurus obviously is something we kind of try to uh, keep as our primary project that goes throughout all other projects. So, if if the team comes to us and says, you know, we are about to open source something, we obviously will start a conversation of what what are your goals? And if they say, we are, it's not just, you know, releasing the code uh, that accompanies the research paper that often happens, but in, but it's instead something that they are trying to drive adoption behind, get contributions from folks. And we want to make sure that the project potentially has a logo because it's one of the ways company shows that there is a commitment to a project. Si- simple things like logos, right? Then yeah. the next step would be uh, having, obviously, proper readme's, contributor guides, but also the website. And because Docusaurus came out of Facebook initially. Uh, as a result, we have a pro- we have a very good integration with the project, but also we've been you know working with Major League Hacking uh, to have uh, people and fellows just working on the open source projects like DocuSource, making it better, and by us using it in house like go- dog fooding something like DocuSource, we get to work. Uh, and help other open source projects at Facebook use it. They also will find some gaps in the project and contribute back. So as a you're often looking for ways to do some coding and it's one of the ways uh, we developer advocates get to do some. But in a sense, how the ecosystem uh, of open source at Facebook uh, is structured, people have so much freedom when they do some open source work. We, as I mentioned, we have a very strict guidance in the sense that you must have code of conduct. You must strive for diverse community. Those things are, you know, uh, you, you, we're not questioning them ever. But in terms of what tools you would use, what documentation site, you might use Gatsby if you want to but we'll, we might guide you through using DocuSource because it's something we have expertise with and we'll show you some integrations, but it's still up to your team, team to choose. We're not gonna do it for you, decide for you. So you have that freedom. We don't dictate that that's what you have to do.
1: Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then for, so like once the project's up, I guess, you know, does Face accept open contributions or not accept contributions, or is there kind of a mix of different levels of engagement with the community depending on the project? How does that work?
0: yeah that's uh as i mentioned b- the because of the scale uh and the portfolio size it obviously differs from project to project and uh, we're trying to be very clear up front with the community what the goal of the project is like i work with some research teams that uh their goal behind open sourcing the project is to make it public to share it with the community but at the time they're not looking for contributions and this and we don't want to just have a project that you know has a uh, Plenty of issues or PRs opened and nobody ever attends to those. That's obviously an issue with any open source project that exists out there. You know, it's the, it becomes more popular. You might have some idle PRs and issues, but we'd like to avoid that, especially you know, going forward. And as a result, if indeed the project upfront doesn't look is not looking for contributions, we'll make sure the team makes it public. They will mention it in the README. They will say it, uh, you know, in the issues in the pinned. Uh, you know, discussion saying this is what it is. It's currently kind of a, uh, an exhibition almost of a code. So we're showing it. It's experimental and contributions will be accepted later on. But honestly speaking, for the majority of the projects, obviously, one of the reasons to make it public is to make it better and it only can be done through the community's contribution. Hence, we try to always, uh, you know, enforce the fact that there should be contributors guide with any project that goes out um and the, the basically how we you know position ourselves in terms of con- you know getting the contributions but at the same time we have to be realistic in this, in in regards to um you know how much effort it is, right? Uh, open source, if the team indeed open sources a project, we risk expect them to put effort into maintaining that, especially from the public point of view. Uh, but o- obviously things like that might change, priorities change, uh, but, but we're always working on that. We're doing the post-mortems of things. E- let's say, you know, PRs have been idling for e- years. We want to make sure it doesn't happen again. And we're always looking through that. Yeah,
1: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, so. Along those lines, I guess, you know, kind of what happens when a project like takes off when it gets like a bunch of adoption, a lot of stars, you know, what kind of happens then?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, if that happens, and obviously, we try to get ahead of the game, in a sense, don't just pick up the project that are massively popular, or we expect to be massively popular. Uh, if up front we see the team, the development team that makes a uh, project open. Uh, shows the commitment. They have a proper plan, ideally long-term plan, and that's what we're st- striving for. Uh, there is a good chance it will indeed grow to you know high popularity and stars. And uh, but you know not every project has that goal in mind. But the projects that do and indeed grow to that level, we want to make sure the community is safe. So uh, the, if they have a Slack or they have Discord or whatever they might have, um, we want to make sure that it's properly moderated. Uh, you know, the code of conduct is, you know, we recently published that, uh, our, f- our priority or focus on DNI. So things of that sort is what we'll try to, you know, adhere to and uh, improve. But in regards to anything else, teams have quite a bit of autonomy. Uh, a developer advocacy team at open source, we produce some additional content. We work with the teams, you know, especially of the popular projects to identify what the gaps might be. We might help them by hiring someone to do full-time work just on open source that that's outside of the engineering team itself. Uh, we might help them find the documentation writer because documentation is so important for any open source project. Uh, we might find a way to build tutorials for them. You might have seen some explain like I'm five videos that we've done yeah. <laughs> on Facebook open source YouTube channel. So those are the things we kind of are uh, working with individual teams on. But in reality, they all have so much autonomy; they can do so many different things. We just we just there to support them and to highlight their amazing work, rather than doing the work for them. So that's kind of a position of our team as a whole.
1: Totally, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you think of your job as more community focused, tooling focused, or content focused, or is it kind of a general mix of all three?
0: I'm uh, gladly in my team, I uh, in the open source team as a whole. We have people focusing full-time on tooling so we have a great integration for people who work on the you know open source internally and even externally so that 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 part is just is handled for me so i don't have to ever you know even think twice about it i can give the feedback to the tooling team but you know they've been doing such a great job that i don't i really have to do that at all so my really focus would be on the community community is being you know, the primary vision for our team as a whole uh, but you know the, com- the way you would one of the ways you would engage with the community is through content uh, and we've been trying to you know, ra- you know get that up to speed as I mentioned it's fairly new team still uh, with uh, not that many people and so Obviously, you have to manage the balance between strategy work for the community, like the Major League Hacking Fellowship that we've launched along with the other companies. Uh, it's the work that we've been do- doing. But at the same time, you have to prioritize how you support individual teams. Uh, we've recently launched React Labs uh, to kind of uh, share with the community some in depth knowledge around React. Uh, which means we kind of focus on community, but also integrate the content as our priority, so really as tight as, as our role it's actually keeping the balance between the two, but community still is the very uh, the highest priority for us
1: yeah, awesome yeah i've seen the uh, explain it to me like I'm five videos they're great. I' watched Thank a bunch you. of them before this interview <laughs> 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 um, okay, so maybe explain to me how you know GraphQL is different from maybe other projects that you're working on.
0: Yes, with any open source project, uh, what matters the most is who's involved, right? Uh, When it's just backed by one single company, uh, it 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 might get tricky, right? So, uh, with GraphQL as an example, we've seen that there is a need for the community to grow, the partners to be involved uh, that outside of Facebook, and uh, as a result, like you know, GraphQL is one example, Presto database is another where you can see that it's grown to involve other organizations like Alibaba, Uber, and many others. And and so in the situations like that, let's say if the company were not to be involved anymore, other companies will be able to pick pick up the slack, right? It's rarely that projects of that magnitude are maintained by individuals. And when they have the backing uh, by some large organizations, there's definitely, uh, you know, major help from that sense. Uh, And so... In regards to the, particularly GraphQL, I've seen that Linux Foundations has done an amazing job in uh, launching free learning uh, tutorials around it on EDX that you can find on the GraphQL Foundation. I've seen that the community still has been growing. And we obviously still contribute to the project and use it internally quite extensively and still very much rely on that. Uh, It's just one of the ways individual projects can evolve, but obviously it's not right for... For all of them, it always depends. With the projects and the teams, it's almost like I'm a, being a consultant here and saying it depends, but it really depends.
1: Yeah, that's. What I was actually going to ask. I was, uh, you know, when you're working with all these different projects, like, do, you, are you kind of technically consulting on? You know, here's what I think. You know, would be successful that sort of stuff.
0: It's it's kind of it's kind of like that, right? You you there to help them to just highlight the work they've done, the engineering teams. But, and just maybe pinpoint the gaps. More more often than not, they are responsible to find the gaps in their open source, and you can help them with that. But in reality, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do the work for them, right? They still have to be committed to do working on open source. Uh, if they're not able to, that's where we have to think of you know bringing up uh, actually external people who would work on open source, or you know ramping up our effort on growing the community and getting more people from the community helping with the projects. So, but but really, uh, my role is bringing expertise in open source and developer advocacy, and and their role is like the engineering role, and also seeing that they have that uh, passion for open source. Because honestly, open source is complex, right? It is not cheap; it's expensive from all sorts of point of view, right? From the monetary, from the time, from the efforts, and how it's even you know evaluated at works, things of that sort. Uh, it, it's not just a voluntary work for the most part. Uh, it's really something that people have to be committed to. They have to see the value in it. And um, so uh, it's always exciting to work with those teams that are excited about open source. And again, my role is just to empower them.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, for you know people who are maybe listening to this podcast who want to launch op- something open source, I guess, what, what advice would you have um, for them?
0: Yeah, I would say uh, read a couple of open source guides. I I really enjoyed the github opensource.guide, I believe, a to-do group that's a collaboration of uh, companies uh, on open source to make it uh, more welcoming and diverse. uh, Facebook is open source as part of that organization. That's also a great place to go to. but also on our YouTube channel, we have uh, plenty of videos on how to start with open source. So just learn about it first. I know it might be overwhelming, uh, especially when it comes to contributing. I've been in you know your shoes before. you y- thinking, all right, today I'll start contributing. I've read so much about open source. I've used it so much. I would really want to give back to the community. But then... You go to GitHub, you see major, like, I, I think I've started with one of the Apache projects. You clone it from the GitHub, and then you don't know where to start. And you, you, you're thinking, how do I make a lot major change like that? Do I need to follow the email lists? There's so many moving pieces. That's why I always say step back, look at one of the, you know, guides that I've mentioned, resources online. Uh, you can find plenty of them. And so hopefully they will guide you towards maybe just make a documentation contribution it's a it's a it seems like it's minor, but it's important if you've been reading the docs and you see some even small typo, you might help significantly to the next person who will read it might not have known that it was a typo uh, and uh, after that, you'll feel confidence you'll know the workflow you know creating a PR merging it that workflow alone will help you to make a even bigger contribution. So just get started. Uh, people usually are very welcoming, and just find a project that is indeed welcoming to contribution, and you'll be, you know, well set.
1: Yeah, great. Um, and then you know, kind of the other side from a users' perspective. You know, what should you be looking for if you're, you know, wanting to use an open source project? If you're, you know, I need, you know, this tool, but I want it to be open source. I guess what, you know, what are some key things that you know you should be should be looking for?
0: Yeah, open source is definitely... I mean, from the user perspective, uh, it also, I would say, overwhelming, overwhelming a bit because so many projects are there, which yeah. is exciting <laughs> at the same it's time.
1: overwhelming in general. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I, I mean, so many things to you know to go through, especially if you're in the front-end area, right? There's so many different frameworks and libraries uh, and more and more coming out every year, every month even. So it, it is tricky. I would say I, I always look for documentation first, so it's, you always start with that, right? You find for a number of tutorials, especially if you're new to it, right? Um, but I would say I, I always like to start with, let's say, front end, right? I always start to with, with some foundational work and just knowing what the JavaScript vanilla before going to like using Vue or React or swelt or whatever you might be interested in. But you know, after you know some, you know, have some knowledge of the a topic and area, then you figure out the, you find a project that might have doesn't have to be extremely popular, but the reason why popularity matters is there is a high chance there is a good community around it. You might go to this, you know, it's Slack or where wherever people might be, you know, talking about the project, you might ask questions. And if you see that people are asking, You know, beginner's question, it's a good sign. It's a place for you to be. Uh, Projects that are welcoming to the beginners uh, is usually a good sign of a healthy community, of the healthy open source project. And that's what you should be looking for, I think.
1: Okay, so Dimitri, tell me a bit about, you know, the content strategies of Facebook open source in uh, the times of COVID.
0: Yeah, the COVID definitely has been a big... um, Change to everyone, uh, especially from whether you you know working from home, or of course as a developer advocates, uh, we've been used to traveling a lot, going to conferences, in person events, workshops, uh, hackathons, meetups, things of that sort it's something that just disappeared altogether. I mean, some meetups, some workshops still happening online. And I've attended a couple of conferences, But uh, and I see that that space is still changing quite drastically, regardless of whether people will go back to in-person events or not. And people try to make, you know, I've seen some conference that will take place Uh, In in the form of avatars, you will have avatars and people like walk (laughs) around the hallway. There's there are tables. They walk into uh, near the table and they join like a small uh, Zoom room or some some sort. (laughs) I've been attending those conferences as well. It's exciting. It's fun. But uh, honestly, when I were going to conferences before, for me, I've almost never went to individual lectures, I would just spend my whole time in the hallway talking to people, uh, talking to people, uh, whether just attending or speaking. That's been the excitement of the going to events. And I obviously don't see that as much anymore. Um, and, and again, it COVID, we kind of uh, just you know, had to restructure what we were focusing on and uh, our focus has been, and I, I will definitely continue being, uh, video content. So, you, as I mentioned, our YouTube channel has been growing rapidly. Facebook Open Source, we've been, uh, we've launched that uh, Explain Like m Five series. React uh, Labs is another series that uh, React team has launched as well. In terms of uh, just talking about in depth uh, and a you know end behind React and things of that sort, but at the same time, we've also been trying to write more so publish articles on our Facebook open source uh, blog uh, as well. So things of the, really trying to go online. And I- if I'm honest, um, it's it's still tr- hard to measure uh, metrics, right? You can't just count like a unique view or even positive or negative sentiment uh, of something you publish. It's still complicated. And even doing a podcast, right? It, it, is, it is complex. Uh, and I, I would love to do podcasts from our end. We, we have a podcast, actually, dif. But uh, it definitely requires time. And if with any content pace matters, you have to make sh- in the cadence, you have to make sure you constantly sharing, uh, publishing the content. You might have seen that with us. Every Wednesday, we publish a new video. Every other Monday, it's the blog post. So we've really been ramping up that effort and just making sure we have that cadence of content established online, regardless of how things go. Uh, we've been building you know, at-home studios for video production because I, I, we don't know when we will, might be able to go and uh, you know, to the proper production studio to record full-fledged videos. Instead... Again, we're trying to make as the best quality content we can at home. But that's the reality of COVID. Um, in person events, uh, we'll take l we'll, we'll see how that goes. But so far I think that I kind of stepped step back from the events altogether and really focused on online content.
1: Yeah, for our listeners, uh I'm looking at Dimitri right now and he's a huge green screen behind us. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you have. It looks like you have a perfect studio right there. Yeah. Um, oh no,
0: I, I have so many lights here and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, cameras and monitors, mics, and and again, I'm extremely privileged to be able to you know have that. Uh, and in reality, you know, you might start recording any tutorial with uh, any webcam for that matter. It's all honestly, it's the matter of controlling the lights. But uh, it, again, it's it's the expectation, right? You have a high bar. Uh, that if you're part of a Facebook open source you still have to meet and the quality of the content the, we we care about quality of the talks you give uh, when we go to conferences so we also would care about the quality of the videos we produce or articles that we write so we're always cautious, c- conscious of uh, of that as well
1: yeah, definitely yeah we've definitely I mean we've experienced that at log rocket as well um, yeah, just having to shift so quickly and you know maintain that that quality. yeah, it can definitely be a challenge yeah uh, um, does your avatar get a go get like virtual swag in the virtual conferences?
0: <laughs> yeah, I wish they were giving some. You know those. Unfortunately, um, I, I don't play as many games anymore. But uh, I know. I think it's Fortnite. You can have like those, um, diff- like special design costumes, oh, yeah. and th- <laughs> items, right? Uh, th- that could have been it, you know. And then, then but the thing is, it's, it can only be possible if. Um, different conferences for using the same uh, platform. I think uh, what I liked about some React events in the past, I've seen they done for speakers, for example. They've um, they uh, hired um, ar- an artist who painted avatars for folks on like for Twitter or initially uh-huh. actually for, for a conference. Uh, I've been at events where they would hire a person to take headshots. Uh, and, and really that's like one of the great swag, but really you can't do that anymore. And unless you would hire artists to draw from the picture you send to them. Uh, but other than that, really, it's uh, yeah, none of the swag. Uh, we we can, can, you know, there is an argument that it's for the best. I've been at some events like uh, NDC, uh, the Nord uh, Nordic Developer Conferences. Uh, for the past couple of years, they haven't been giving away too much swag because they've been donating. Instead, they've been donating uh, towards uh, a few charities. Uh, mm. So uh, it's you know, it's also kind of uh, removes waste, and you can also argue about lack of travel uh you know saving in that sense as well, so sure. th- there definitely been some benefit out of you know la- lack of travel or even lack of swag but obviously sure. i'm missing i'm missing <laughs> some uh, stickers for sure
1: yeah senior stickers yeah exactly yeah yeah, okay, great and we like to end you know every podcast with this question but uh what are you excited about in the world of development in twenty twenty one
0: yeah, it's uh, obviously you know time of COVID, especially last year, has uh, changed quite a few things in that sense. Uh, but again, going back to the fact that I'm a developer advocate, and before even I, I was one, I've tra- I've went to so many events in person events. I, I think I've done uh, way over fifty in just like year and a half. Uh, at one month, I remember I've done thirteen and in, in thirteen different countries, so traveled mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh, and as I, and I said before, I really prefer the hallway track, as it's called, right? Talking to people in a hallway in those in-person events. And I know, especially in the front-end area and mobile as well, conferences were such a massive part of the community. And now, because they're all online and some were canceled, some were postponed until in-person events are still happening. And I see some people, some events are scheduled for in-person uh, gathering at the end of this year. but you know i'm definitely interested in seeing how that changes so really my answer to your question most i'm looking forward to is see how how the world transforms in terms of learning right i've seen more and more great online courses uh, from lots of great content creators uh, for you know front end for mobile for back end anything for that matter really uh, so i don't think that will go away i think the world has transformed forever in that sense remote work and uh, remote learning as well uh, but i'm you know, I wonder whether we'll find a way to have better, be better connected while staying online. We'll go, whether we will go to in-person events for that or whether we'll have a hybrid of some sort. So I'm, I'm again, I'm looking forward to seeing that and as that evolves in the future.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I completely agree. I, I think it'll be exciting to, you know, kind of feels like a lot of people are shifting from the in-person to now, you know, either a video or like recording, or um, it'll be interesting to see kind of like what the next step of that is. Um,
0: it's definitely I, I've I've done a couple of talks remotely lately, and I've been looking for that for years before COVID hit, and now I've done it. And honestly, from the speaker's point of view, it's the hardest thing ever to do the remote uh, presentation rather than in person, because now sometimes I have to pre-record it, edit. It's so much more time than I used to spend when I was just rehearsing and doing it on stage. Because the, you know, that feeling of engagement from the audience and having a conversation rather than staring in this light on my camera <laughs> and hoping that. I know some people actually have the they draw like a do the eyes on the on a sticky note and they put it on the camera and they ex- and like making an eye contact. Their audience. But that's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's really, that's definitely not it. I, I've done, actually recently, I've done a speaking panel with my infant son on my arms. That was, actually was fun. <laughs> you. But, you know, uh, you find a balance, but definitely I'm, I want to see how that changes in the future. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, well, we'll have to back have you back on for, you know, whatever whatever virtual talk the, the next trending <laughs> thing is.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
1: Cool. Thank you so much, Dimitri. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you around.
0: Yeah, I'll see you hi thanks for listening um please remember to like subscribe uh, email me if you want even though none of you do go to logrocket.com and try it out it's free to try then it costs money but yeah we'll see you next time thanks